Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And today we have a guy named John Stamp on the Unimpressed Podcast. Former FBI guy, NCIS. What else? I started as a police officer here in Charleston. Yeah. I left uh, left there in 2004, and I did. I uh, spent time with the FBI, then spent time with the, the NCIS. But yeah, and then I uh, moved on to uh, to be an instructor and a, and a teacher. Now I now I write books. Well, I'm I'm unimpressed. John's written seven books. Seven seven, seven books. So I'm unimpressed. I haven't read one of these books yet, but I think he's got a couple to give us today. What has been your most successful? book this far? I think uh, this far, I think, you know, it's a process. You uh, take a shot at doing one to see if you can pull it off. And uh, as the ideas keep coming, you keep going, but you grow as you do it. So I, I feel like, I feel like probably my, my newest one is probably my most evolved work. Okay. Um, each one has, uh, has little things, characters that, that I, I really enjoyed coming up with and, and making, you know, executing. But, um, but when it comes to putting it all together, I think Blood Red Ivory is probably, probably the most evolved of my works. And what is your inspiration? The Blood Red Ivory alone uh, was one that had a, had a little more development to it, uh, kind of a longer development than some of the others. I had an idea for a character. Um, over the last 20 years, I've worked with just amazing police officers and agents and analysts. And, and I've always had an idea for my character to, to uh, kind of be an amalgam of them. Uh, but yeah. mostly uh, my favorite people have always been the, the funniest and the most sarcastic coming to the squad or be a part of the agency. Yeah. And uh, so I, I wanted to make Ty, my character's name's Ty Benhoff, uh, make him uh, just a, you know, a tenacious investigator, but at the same time has a real hard time taking things serious. Um, so I had him floating around in my head for a while and I couldn't figure out the best way to deploy him. Uh, and then I read an article about uh, this group of women out of Zimbabwe, all female wildlife uh, rangers uh, fighting poachers in, uh, in in rural Africa. And they all had a background of you know abuse, domestic abuse, sexual assault. This is a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, an Australian SAS guy, I think, if I'm getting this right, comes in, decides he wants to get into the, uh, the wildlife protection world, and he creates a unit based just solely of these women and deploy them, train them up as, as he was trained, deploy them out into the field, and they've had a, an amazing effect. Mm-hmm. The moment I read that, I need to take this story and I need to, I need to make this part of a book. So yeah. I took Ty, who'd been sitting on the shelf for a while, um, put him in the NCIS because the Naval Criminal Investigative Service is deployable worldwide. Yeah. Uh, there's an office pretty much everywhere. So I was like, oh, I can, I can do a lot with that guy. So I'm like, all right, here's a murder in rural Zimbabwe, drop uh-huh. him in the middle of it, trying to solve a homicide while he's act- walking right into the middle of a uh, wildlife trafficking you know, war between two factions, a group of ivory poachers and, and uh, these, these female rangers. And uh, he's got to try to figure out the homicide, but he's also just walks right into the meat grinder and has to figure out how to survive it at the same time. So, Have you ever took your material and pitched it to any networks or anything like that? No, I actually, um, you know, writing's a business. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I could be a little slow on the uptake sometimes. So I've yeah. had a really good time the last decade writing. Yeah, never really considered other than putting a good story out, you know. And and uh, my wife and I, it's funny. My wife and I were at a book conference 
last year and she's talking to all these different authors, very successful authors. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's, you know, what, what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? And and they're all telling her how they run their business and how they market and how they do all this stuff. And she just looks at me, she goes, you need to get over this starving artist thing and start taking it serious. (laughs) I was like, all right. So I'm kind of relatively new to trying to expand anything other than writing. Tell Netflix right now I'm, I'm, I'm available. If, uh, if they want to talk, if they want to yeah. talk, I'm available. I'll talk to Amazon too. No problem. What's been your biggest book before this one? Probably uh, my third book, Spoilers. It's probably a toss-up between Brothers Keeper and Spoilers. Both of them evolved a different way, but both are crime thrillers set in Charleston. Mm-hmm. And uh, Spoilers, I kind of the characters just took over my plot line and just went completely sideways with it. I had a a plan of you know following a narcotics unit. Uh, working in the city, they they kick in a, a certain door and find contraband, a uh, 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 specified, you know, really uh, tricked out weapon that's not supposed to exist. They stumble into an arms trafficking operation running mm. through the low country. Very connected, of course, um, very connected intelligence field and intelligence agencies driven, stuff like that. They actually become hunted as they, you know, face the pressure from the local pol- politicians to, you know, their own administration decide to go forward with an investigation that ends up making them the target of this international organization. So I, I was pretty rough on Charleston in that one. We, yeah. uh, we destroyed a lot of property in, yeah. in that book. But the thing, the thing with the characters is I had my guy, Lieutenant Peter Banks, he was the protagonist. He was the leader of this unit, an uh, older lieutenant yep. uh, with a group of uh, young detectives you know, ready, to, ready to go at any minute. And about a quarter of the way through, the the female detective on the team, uh, Poppy, takes takes just takes over. She's funnier, she's wittier, she's smarter than the other guy she's working with. I have a female um, uh, assassin also that's called in by this agency to start taking out these people, and she is a psycho. Like I didn't write her as a as a psycho. I wrote her as kind of like a cold Michael Myers, yeah, you know, in the outline, and she turns into like the Joker. As, as I'm writing, as I'm as I'm doing my first draft, she gets. This uh, very cynical uh, Joker esque feel to her, and I was like, so the the females took completely took over this book, and and really I think made it flourish, mm-hmm. uh, just in the way that what they added, they, their their characters as they evolved uh, were just uh, their scenes were better, they were you know their their lines were better. As I'm writing this, I'm getting to you know the main battle between the the good guys and the bad guys, and I have everybody. It's a it's basically a uh, a shootout on Johns Island, Maine and Maybank. That, okay. big, that big intersection there. Okay. And so I've, I'm moving these people around the chessboard. Uh, it's like a, it's basically like a, like the gunfight and heat. One of my good guys about to get zipped by a bad guy, and I've got nobody left. Like, all my pieces are gone. Like, I've, I've lost all my chessboard pieces. I'm like, well, I, I got plans for that guy. He can't go. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back through the story, wrote in another character for about 15,000 words. Also, she could come in and s- <laughs> run over the bad guy with a car. That's, that's what I needed her for. But I ended up drawing her as a rookie police officer, rookie female in a male-dominated career field. Yeah, uh, got to show her as is trying to get the respect she deserves and trying to show her that her internal struggle with with some of the some of the problems of being a part of that that career field sometimes. So she flourished into an amazing character arc. And the whole reason I needed her was to basically take out a guy because I had nobody else to to spare my other good guy here. Yeah. So, it was another piece of the chessboard that I had to sprinkle in. So as those characters came about, I think I think they really resonated with people. So I think I think that's why spoilers kind of became what it is, and it's gotcha. just a, a very well character driven uh, story. But those characters on the page, they weren't what I what I originally sketched them as. But as the 
the pros and the narrative grew, it was like, I was like, man, I, I love these women. These guys are great. You know? So you grew up between Rochester and Syracuse, right? Yep. How long did you live in that area? You grew up there? I grew up there and uh, I moved down to Charleston my sophomore year of college. Sophomore year of college. Yeah, okay. I, I had a buddy who would come down to the Citadel. You know, I'm sitting up here freezing my butt off. There's three feet yeah, of snow on the ground. It's freezing. Yeah. He's like, well, come on down. So I look into the Citadel and he's like, you got to come join me next next year. And I look and I'm like seeing people marching in wool uniforms in August. And I'm like, it's 100 degrees, dude. You're walking around in a wool suit. That's, mm-hmm. that's not me. Yeah. So I found another college, Charleston Southern University, that had a program that I could slide my credits into and graduated from there. Oh, um, and believe it or not, that's where I went in school. Yeah. I yeah. went to Charleston Southern. Yeah, go Buccaneers, right? Buccaneers, yeah. <laughs> that's that's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. I graduated there in 90, 99. Okay. Um, and during that time, I joined the police department as a reserve officer, fell in love with, once I graduated, moved on and, and got on with the city of Charleston and stayed there until I moved on to the FBI in late 2004. So did you, in 2004, when you went to the FBI, you were a cop here locally. Now, was your FBI agent here in Charleston as well? No, no. They, um, but uh, at the time you get up, you get picked up with the FBI and you have to go someplace else. You just couldn't stay in place, especially a rookie agent isn't getting to go to a place like Charleston. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so what they do is they give you uh, the ranking field offices and me and my wife sit down and we rank where we want to go. Once you pass firearms tests, you know, at week seven and week eight, you have what's called orders night. So the entire okay. class comes together. You get your envelope and you have to walk up in front of class and, and call your shot. You know, where do you think you're going? Where would you rank? Where are you going? I called my shot. We ranked uh, Buffalo field office number one. Yeah. Um, because at least we go someplace where family was relatively close by. And so I go up on uh, orders night and, and the, the, the coordinator's like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going to Buffalo. Is that your first pick? I was like, yep. He's like, you really think you're going to get your first pick? I was like, do you know anybody here that wants to go to Buffalo? And he's, he's like, no. <laughs> so, so we moved uh, back up to New York and I, I worked in Buffalo for, for uh, three, uh, three years and change. After the FBI, what? Well, after the, uh, after the FBI, my wife and I wanted to travel out of the blue NCIS calls because uh, I had there, my application apparently was still uh, active. Okay. And uh, so one night I'm driving home, we're staring on the barrel of going to one of these giant cities and uh, it's blizzarding out. It's miserable. <laughs> and and the, the NCIS lady on the other side of the phone, she goes, well, if you're still interested, what do you think of Pensacola, Florida? Same gig, same retirement. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, that had that international travel opportunity, you know, yeah. Europe, Singapore, wherever the Navy is, they're going to have NCIS agents there. So yeah, like, yeah let's do this. Let's, uh, Let's just jump on that train and, and go travel. Seven years I was with them. I got to go to nine countries. What's the angle and the situation where you have to go somewhere? What's, what are you trying to solve or do? Purview is anything Navy-related, felony-level investigations, and okay. counterintelligence. I could work a fraud on a Monday, a burglary on a Tuesday, a, a death on a Wednesday, you know, yeah. an assault on a Thursday. It'd be, it'd, uh, it fit my personality because I'm, I'm kind of, I consider myself to have a little bit of ADHD when it comes to career. So it's, yeah. it's always, if I see a cool looking squirrel that I want to chase, I just go do it. <laughs> so NCIS seven years, then, then what after that? Well, I, uh, after that, uh, seven years, uh, the kids started coming, you know, we go up to Syracuse for a little while. We, we have, uh, our first child. Time comes, three to five years, where we go hit Hawaii or Japan or some other place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's funny, we were, we were changing diapers uh, like two months in, and we just look at each other and we're like, 
the idea of, you know, not having this kid raised in a, in the same place just changed everything. It just kind of changed our outlook. So yeah. I had to find something permanent. So I became an instructor down at the uh, Federal Law Enforcement Training Center down in Georgia. What's your day look like when you show up at the training facility? It's a federal training facility, federal training facility for FBI agents? No, no, it's a... Uh, 118 different agencies, you know, wherever you're assigned, you could be teaching a kid how to pull over a car. You could be uh, on a bomb range. Yeah. You could be teaching crime scenes. And that's, that was my, my background is, is a crime scene. I was a member of the ERT when I was with the FBI, a member of the crime scene team at NCIS and my master's in forensics. So I got to teach. Uh... I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We keep a lot of emotions bundled up inside in life, and sometimes we got to talk to people. I witnessed the benefits with my own two eyes. I have a close friend that was struggling with depression and felt like she had no one she could consistently talk to because of her busy schedule. She was matched with a therapist through BetterHelp. After several months of sessions, I've seen a tremendous change in her personality and in her life. If you're needing therapy and, and want to get some of those things off your chest, it's entirely online and designed to conveniently work around your schedule and empower you to be the best version of yourself. Just fill out a questionnaire and they will align you with the right therapist. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com unimpressed today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash unimpressed. I teach uh, crime scene instruction for, to uh, agents coming through. And how old are these guys coming through? They can be anywhere from 20 to, to like 50. You have a long program going on. You know, everybody's feeling themselves out for mm-hmm. three or four days and then just trash talk. Just the ag- interagency trash talk starts and it's one of my favorite jobs I've ever had, actually. I mentioned earlier, didn't I, they ever film anything? Any of film that? It seemed like that would be some good content. Would they let you film it, first of all? Uh, it depends. I've seen I've seen uh, CBP has done a documentary following yeah. following trainees through there. It's a, I call it an adult playground because you can, you know you can go get beat up in a red man suit at one point, or you could you could uh, chase cars in another part of the facility. And what town? What town is this in? We're down. At, uh, well, you know we've got one in Charleston here, Brunswick, Georgia, an hour south of Savannah. You know they just had this project in Charleston where it's supposed to be the deepest uh, uh, port on the East Coast. Is there anything that we'd be surprised about that's going on here, right here by the water? Not, not that I would, uh, I would be aware of. I, I like I said, I, I left here in 2004. I come back as a tourist now, and just yeah, you know, I love this city. Would there be something we would be surprised to hear about? Best thing about a criminal is that they're they're just opportunists. So if 
you know, Charleston's got that is that gateway. It's always has been. So that's why I think I've put a lot of my my settings here, history and the and the, the vibe of the city. It's just a great place to to write a story. That's why yeah. my first five books are, are set here. You know, you got third generation families here. That does run a strain through my book. This is the best place in the world for like backdrops and culture and just a little bit of everything. Took a uh, off duty gig one day to sit on Church Street when it was converted into Revolutionary pre Civil War times uh, mm-hmm. for the movie Cold Mountain. Okay. And I remembered, you know, walking out on the set and it's just, you know, they just completely transformed it. And we speak of the history and, and all the backdrops and stuff, random little nuggets that you probably don't get anyplace else but, but Charleston, uh, Secessionville out on James Allen. I get a call out there one day for uh, an alarm. So it's a burglary alarm. Mm-hmm. So I walk out there and I'm walking around the house and, and uh, waiting, you know, making sure that nothing's broken into, making sure there's no open doors, broken windows, stuff like that. And as I'm walking around the back of the house, everything's cool. And I'd see this big plastic bin filled with water and there's two foot long mortar shells in there. That's interesting. I was like, and so the, the guy who owns the house shows up and, tell, you know, we're going through the whole thing. Everything's cool. Reset the alarm. I go, what are those? He goes, oh yeah, those are uh, those are mortars, probably Civil War ish. And he kicks the bucket while I'm standing there. And I'm like, no, <laughs> like that's yeah. unexploded ordnance. That's a couple hundred years old. This guy would just go out in the marsh and dig this stuff up, take it back, and there's still stories where those things kick off every now and then. You know, that they oh really? Rattle. So he was there. actually digging them up right out yeah. by his house. You know, you live in the middle of what once was a fort or a battlefield. You've got that opportunity in a place like Charleston just facilitates that. Yeah. So much history here that... And digging into your head a little bit, you know, obviously a very dynamic personality being in law enforcement. And now when you are at work, are you like the most cut and dry person? And then you have like that alter ego that is your escapism to put it on in and paper? Um, you know, there's there's times where you got to be on the ball, you know, and there's times where, where you got to you know, make a switch and, and be pretty serious about things. But as an investigator, come in all hardcore and everybody you talk to, you don't get a whole lot. It's uh, the, the best police officers I ever worked with and agents were mm-hmm. the ones that could have a conversation with a wall. Naturally, that, that hasn't always been me. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time for me to, to try and become that communicator. So I I always tried to, to you know, dress dress down, dress casually, try to be friendly to everybody I meet because that's that's how people start to talk to you and trust you. And yeah. trust and communication is a giant part of, you know, the the, yeah. criminal, the criminal justice world. So I always tried to try to keep it relatively even keeled. I don't know if I've always pulled it off, but I try. This character you have in this recent book is somewhat lackadaisical, relaxed, or just is that you? Uh, no, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's a little different than me. He's a bit more rebellious than I think I would consider myself. He's a bit more sarcastic on some mm-hmm. things. Doesn't, uh, you know, tries not to take stuff too seriously, but also when the time comes, you know, crime scene or you're processing a, a, a body, it's a homicide case he's working. So it's it's time to be detail-oriented and, uh-huh. and, and conscious of what you're doing. You know, when it comes to his superiors and management back at headquarters, he has very little time for time-wasting, stuff like that. So he gets himself into a little bit of a, a bit of trouble at times with uh, with the bureaucratic side of of that life. His patience is sometimes strained. And when you were growing up in New York, did you always have a, like a creative mindset? I know that I almost failed math in sixth grade because I decided to write um, a book um, by hand in math class instead of actually doing math. So I I wrote like fifty five handwritten pages of an awful like alien abduction story when I was like nine. Really? So I was I was always trying to uh, trying to write. One of the first books I ever read was Jaws. And I remember doing it, I'm like, yeah, that's like this guy just sits down here and, and puts out a story like that. I'm like, 
that's kind of what I want to do. So I, I would write an outline, but I could never figure out how to actually put a novel together until like I was 36 years old is when I finally was able to get it from, from beginning to end from A to Z. Obviously you have the experience in law enforcement, whatever. Is it just rationale to put two and two together to drive that personality in a book? No, it's uh, it's it's basically, you know, keeping that character's mindset in your head. And, and, and I write, and it sounds weird, but I basically write the movie I see in my head and I just hit pause when my writing session's done every day and I pick up where I left off. But it's but I kind of write it as I see it. And, mm-hmm. and the character, you know, I'll, I'll sketch out the character as I'm building the outline. But then once I get going, I seldom revert back to my outline. I, I just follow the path, you know, as the character tries to get from A to Z. But they having the characters, that character's mindset in there is, is part of part of the process. When I build them, that it just kind of sticks with me throughout the process of the book. You know, and you hadn't ever really tried to pursue anything with it. You just want to write. Uh, well, it's, uh, you know, at this, as I start to think about it, I'm like, I need to. I'd love to push this further and, you know, yeah. become, you know, become that Tom Clancy-esque author, you know. So I, it's that's that's been a change of mindset. I really just did it as as exercise. Yeah, like you say, it's a release. I, I look at it now as going to the gym. You know, you yeah. skip, skip the gym three or four days, you start getting grouchy. I skip uh, writing three or four days, and and I start getting the same kind of grouchy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so yeah, I guess it, it it has been kind of a an exercise of of the mind, and it's just gr- kind of grown into into that at, at this stage. Because they say creative comes from the darkest places. It does. You know, I have comedians and worked with them, and some of the best comedians have some of the darkest, have some dark past. Is there anybody in your family, mom and dad, or anything that had a creative mindset? I mean, what was childhood like? Childhood, I, I mean, I grew up in the country. It was There's more cows than people where I come from, and yeah. when you, you explain you grew up in New York, you always got to make sure they know that yeah. you grew up in where the pastures are in New York, not the concrete. And yeah. So, yeah. Well, there's up. more, yeah, I mean, being in New Jersey, I mean, we, we once we got past Tuxedo Park, there's more rednecks, you know, yeah. there's more rednecks that way than there is in North Carolina or South Carolina, for that matter, you oh, know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I reported to an office in Earl, New Jersey at, okay. at one point and driving through horse country the first time, I was like, this is still New Jersey? <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it takes a minute, but uh, people have the same outlook of New York. And uh, I grew up surrounded by lakes, uh, surrounded by farms, partying in cornfields in high school. It's uh, pretty much uh, Mayberry. <laughs> you know, it's, oh, a, okay. it's a great place and I love Every chance I get to go back there, um, but it's uh, but no, I grew up I grew up in the country. No uh, hidden darkness, you know, none of that. It's uh, it's actually just really entertaining because you know my my family is traditionally uh, truckers, uh, so they, mm-hmm. you know, the stories from a long haul trucker. Uh, my grandpa on the other side was a fireman, it's, so it's it just uh, it just I think I just always wanted to build those build those stories out, you know. Gotcha. So do you have dis- distribution? Who's your distribution with? Right now I'm with uh, Wild Blue. Blue Press. They, Wild uh, Blue Press. Wild Blue Press. They've published uh, Blood Red Ivory. Um, did the uh, audiobook for Blood Red Ivory. Found it. I, I got. I got saying who the narrator was. But yeah, they're they're a, a true crime and, and thriller uh, press. They've the other ones. Uh, they you know they they each originally had a publisher, and as they came off contract, I, I back out myself. And, uh, had my own covers, so I started figuring out the business process a little bit there. But yeah, as as we move forward, I need to need to start start building, as, yeah. as you say, the you know the career side. Well, I mean that I think in the book business is just like anything else. It's just like um, I call. Obviously, you gotta create some value for yourself as a writer, right? Like anybody else in this business, you gotta, especially entertainment. I think you gotta build value on yourself, and then once you build some value, it's either you know it's either getting to the right person, you know, and it's timing, you know, and then get somebody to say yes. 
It doesn't say that Tom, you, you know, you could be better than Tom Clancy, but somebody said yes to Tom Clancy a long time ago. Yep. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? It can be, uh, you know, your book running into an agent's desk and the agents missed their cup of coffee that day and there's just no chance. You know, it could, yeah. it could be as, as easy as as easy as something like that. You know, are they calling sick that day and you end up on the bottom of the slush, slush pile? It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's there's a lot of ch- like you say, there's a lot of chance, especially in this business where it's flooded you know there's so many authors out there trying to uh, make something of their of their work how do you create a buzz around your projects uh still figuring that one out too uh, you know yeah. it has been you know the the publisher puts it out and i'll i'll pop it on social media stuff like that i've, I've taken to studying and, and starting to get into the, like the uh, the ads on social media the ads on like amazon learning that marketing side of the business i come on you know shows like this is every chance i get um mm-hmm. Go to book conferences. Uh, you know, go f- spend a weekend with a bunch of readers, doing panels, uh, answering questions, hanging out with people, doing book signings. Every chance I get, I just—it's—it's it's great when you get to go out there and talk to people. Are are just in train with with those books too. There, you know, you're talking to fans, you're talking to readers, you, you know, getting into really in depth conversations about some of their favorite books you've ever read, uh, mm-hmm. other things like that. So I'm I'm figuring out as I go so to speak we had a book deal it kind of had the uh, law enforcement element and then it had like the spiritual like supernatural element and she's from she's actually from my hometown and i can't even remember who it is but she's had a couple of new york times bestsellers you know has there been a movie made like that in charleston and i know that movies have been made around here and mm-hmm. i actually follow that back home because savannah's got a, a great film scene too story about that but um but i, I don't know if anybody's ever taken a production and, and run it right through the setting of uh, Charleston. But, but like you said, it's the setting, the scenery, mm-hmm. um, just the, the flow of the town is perfectly made for, for stuff like that. I always kind of look at my stuff as uh, John Fuqua, uh, sort of uh, that gritty crime thrillers that he does. I just think he's got a great eye for that sort of thing. Has anybody ever teach your writing how fluid it is or anything like that? You know, the, uh, the best thing you can get is an editor that really doesn't care what your feelings are. So it's it's always... It's always great when an editor gives you a compliment because it's, yeah. uh, you know, I've, I've had him tell me like, you know, I, I don't usually say this, but this passage is just great. This, or this dialogue energy. But yeah, I've had a couple editors that have said that you know, spoilers uh, made them think of Clancy. Um, they said the, the writing, the way I drew Ty, Veronica and some of the other uh, characters in Blood Red Ivory was just kind of a fresh take on some things. Because I, I try not to, you know, the crime thriller can be very dark and very gritty and elements of you know, when there's room, you can make it light. You know, mm-hmm. when there's when there's going to be dark spots, especially when I'm working a, ho- a homicide case, there's there's a darkness there. Somebody's dead, you got, and that case is going to take over. But in the in the you know, there's always a, a real black humor uh, within within law enforcement. So if mm-hmm. I can find ways to kick that in there, so having my reader, you know, going through a, a relatively tense scene and just having a one liner out there, just contrast with that seriousness every now and then. I try to do that. And my last uh, editor was, she liked some of, some of what she saw with, with that. So, um, yeah, I, I, lo- I, I always tell people, you know, you think that this is a very solitary business because yeah. it's you and a keyboard. And if you're not pounding out the, the words on the page, nobody's ever going to know that you almost wrote a book, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was to write the book, critique my first draft, do another edit and throw it out there, it'd be garbage. Um, cause you don't have anybody else. So you're, you're so, you're so myopic. On, on what your words are, you automatically think you're awesome because you just wrote this. You can't see what other people see, so mm-hmm. you always need. I got I've got a group of beta readers that will let me know when I'm off. So and most of them are are guys that I've worked with. I've got a couple um, U.S. Marshals, some other agents. Mm-hmm. So they'll especially 
especially when it comes to the gun stuff and the tactics stuff though now nah, you're you're way off like you're you've been out of the field too long this doesn't work you're mm-hmm. writing a john woo movie here not you know not keeping the tactics so yeah i always so you try to stay tactical well i try to stay accurate Accurate. Because, my, you know, my friends, read, people are in the field investigating and scenes and working cases. And I don't want to write something that they're going to be like, he's lost it, you know. Because it's like, for me, I, there's very, my wife's a nurse and I'm mm-hmm. in law enforcement. So we can't watch cop shows. We can't agree on medical shows. Because if I'm watching a, a police show and somebody walks in a crime scene without gloves on, it makes me go into, a, you know, a fit. Yeah. She's a, she's a surgical nurse. So if she's watching Grey's Anatomy and somebody breaks the sterile field without being gowned and masked up and starts grabbing tools without gloves on, she starts losing it. So yeah, it's uh, it makes, um, it makes entertainment at night kind of funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I, I always want to make sure I'm accurate that I've got that honest voice and it's current and it sticks to accepted guidelines that we all work under. Now, spoilers, what, what is spoilers? Is spoilers a movie? Uh, is it a series? What are the books? Are they all movies? Are they a series? What is it? They're uh, they're movies in my head. Uh, spoilers was uh, I was never intended to be a series, but like I, I mentioned earlier, the uh, that female assassin Bianca, yeah, is so psycho that I wanted her back. Like I wasn't done, wasn't done with that character. So uh, spoilers, as it uh, wrapped up, um, she. She was just like her character was so dynamic. I was like, "Nah, we." I brought her back in and, and mixed her up with intelligence world um, that decides it's time to mop up what's left. So some of my, you know, my characters, Banks and his, his people, survive. Spoilers, kind of win the day. But that's hanging over the head of these people that are involved in some very lucrative and illegal business. So that rather than leaving loose ends, they decide to come back at them. Yeah. Um, but they also decide that Bianca's got to go too because she knows what the operation is. So when they try to take out her, it goes incredibly bad. And it just kind of builds from there as my guys who were, you know, the investigators and, and spoilers are now being hunted, but they don't know it. They've moved on to different roles. They're not yeah. all working together anymore. Um, so they've got to a figure out that they're being targeted and B survive long enough to be able to counter it. Spoilers. It's called where angels sing is uh, is the second book. And it just follows uh, them having to survive uh, the mop up efforts of this uh-huh. organization. Oh, in survive. your head, they're a movie. Oh yeah, they're written like a movie. It, it's uh, uh, Michael Crichton's always been one of my favorite authors. Yeah, and as you read a Michael Crichton book, yeah, he writes like it's a movie. Every every Michael Crichton book I've ever Jurassic Park to uh, Spear to the Congo. As you read those, you can see that movie in your head, and it's just the way he organizes it, the way he writes it by scene by scene. Um, I always thought you know Congo, which the book's amazing. Um, yeah, and when when Congo came out, it's how how you saw it go just the way he wrote that book was was written to be on a screen could you write a screenplay or would you want somebody to write a screenplay of your book you know the book is 85 to 100,000 words and then the screenplay has to be caught at 120 pages a minute a page yeah so it's it's one of those things where in the formatting is you know here's character and here's his line and three sentences to explain what the scene looks like and and i've tried and i'm going through my book and i'm like oh i gotta cut that i gotta cut that i got ooh, you know it hurts yeah but i've um i've, I've actually read different screenplays uh that of movies that i really liked and then tried to adapt my stuff and it's it's one of those things i, I think i could do it but it's a matter of time that, yeah. that's hard you know with yeah. the kids and the job and stuff but no it's if uh if somebody wanted to make a go of it i would i would be I would be well into it. But uh, I also got a call to do uh, the new Halloween movie, which was cool. But really, I, I just wanted to do that. So you can induction that goes into getting that five-minute scene is fascinating to watch the mechanics of. I got to let my wife uh, critique the book, and I don't know. I, I mean, I know some people. Using this city to, to tell a really good 
crime thriller, I think the city is perfectly made for it. Out of the seven books, what would be the book you'd want to put out there first? My first book was actually a, a horror novel, and I put him up against, because I wanted to take that stereotype of the police procedural and throw it up against um, demons. <laughs> Gotcha. Yeah, just take those two worlds and smash them together. It was my first book. I was like, yeah, I'm going to see how, how it goes here. I, I love the, the aspect of that because I, I cover everything from John's Island, the old, some of the old plantation houses on, on John's Island to South Abroad to the, uh, to the market. We got, a, got a couple really cool scenes on market. But, it, but Charleston does have that kind of spiritual element. You know, there's a ghost, yeah. story, there's a ghost story at every building around town. You yeah. know? So it's, it's kind of fun to play with that, that's, that side of things. Uh, outside of that, I think I think spoilers was really well created. It, it stretches from scenes in the upstate uh, to the port. Got a couple of really good, ch- really fun chases up and down some of the some of the places. So, what was the name of the horror movie? Uh, Shattered Circle. That Shattered was, Circle. Was my first book. First book. Yep. My spoilers. Spoilers. And then the last book was. Uh, last book's Blood Red Ivory. Um, Blood Red and, Ivory. Yeah, and between those, that's the one that takes place in Africa. Appreciate you coming in, and anything else we want to cover? I mean, I think we talked about some good stuff today. It, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I did uh, kick off a podcast. I had so much fun doing media for uh, Blood Red Ivory. I started in April. Um, my publisher has a deep list of really good true crime authors and, and thriller writers that that I've just gotten you know have a great conversation with somebody every every week mm-hmm. learning from different authors and, and different experts i've had a blast doing it so it's uh, called that's criminal that's criminal podcast with john stamp yep yeah it's pretty much available everywhere other than that you can you can find me on uh, primarily like instagram facebook at john stamp writer i've been enjoying your videos so, oh thank you yeah, yeah i that's, appreciate that's that been, that's been a lot of fun yeah cool <laughs> so, cool i appreciate I, that i enjoy seeing those john i appreciate you coming in this is Author John Stamp. Stamp. Yep. Yep. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we he's got some uh, great material out there, so check him out. Appreciate everybody listening to the show, and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.